Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. He is a double board certified clinical psychologist and clinical sleep specialist, the author of four books, and has more than 400 interviews per year from Oprah, Dr. Oz, The Doctors, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and now The Hardy Brain. Welcome to the show, Dr. Michael Bruce. How are you doing today? Good, David. How are you? Oh, fantastic. I'm yeah, stoked now to we... be here. Perfect. This is a huge, huge issue. Like, There probably isn't a single patient that comes into my office that doesn't mention something going wrong with their sleep at one point or, or another. And you as the sleep doctor, uh, you had a pretty major event yourself, didn't you? Uh, kind of walk us through what happened with you. Oh, yeah. Are you talking about my cardiac event? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so being the sleep doctor that I was, I decided that I could burn the candle at both ends and be let out lecturing, working out, intermittent fasting and doing it all. And I ended up uh, in the middle of a restaurant having a cardiac event, um, wow. scared the crap out of my wife, scared the crap out of everybody that I was there with, um, and scared the crap out of me. Um, and, yes. and, you know, it, 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 was, it was kind of one of those physician heal thyself moments, but it wasn't like I was doing bad stuff. I was actually doing too much good stuff. Right. So what I would do is if I was lecturing, you know, all day and teaching and things like that, we'd go out for a nice dinner. And then if I hadn't gotten a chance to go to the gym, I'd hit the gym at 9 30, 10 o'clock at night and, you know, run for an hour. Right. And just to kind of get that stress out of me. And I was really using exercise more as a stress reduction tool than a, a like get in shape tool because I was already in pretty decent shape. And then when I added intermittent fasting on top of that. And I decided, oh, well, if you can fast for 16 hours, why don't you fast for 18? Or why don't you fast for 20? And, you know, I saw great results, but the 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 toll that it was taking on my body was, was pretty significant. And, you know, when you wake up in an ambulance and you don't know where your wife is or your partner is, and uh, and you've got people sticking needles in you, you, you take a whole different tack on life. And like, what's going on and what do you want to do next? And, and that kind of thing. Good news. I don't have anything wrong with me. I had basically dehydrated myself and had a what's called a syncopal episode. So my electrolytes were so out of whack because I, I was low on hydration that my body just basically said enough's enough. We're going to collapse for a few moments and then let you let you uh, re reboot, if you will. Um, and uh, apparently that needed to happen in a Cuban restaurant. Um, but the good news is, is that I am fine now, took, took a lot of my own kind of uh, medicine, if you will, and said, you know what, I need to be doing these things, but there's a, there's a point in time where you're not doing them for the right reasons, or you're not, or you're doing too much, or you need to find other activities to do. Um, and so for me, I had to really modify what I was doing physically, and it helped a lot. And that was really one of the things that spurred on the fourth book, which was Energize. Um, was can you be moving throughout the day to give yourself that kind of flexibility, that flow state, all the things that you're looking for, 
and not have to do necessarily, you know, running a seven minute mile. And so that was kind of the impetus behind the book. And I think we did a pretty good job. We had intermittent fasting, we had sleep, and then we had um, uh, movement as the three kind of major components of the book. And people really uh, gravitated towards it well. And if you follow the program, uh, it works really, really well. I basically invented the program for myself um, uh, <laughs> with the help of my co-author, Stacy Griffith. So Stacy, for folks who don't know who she is, she was one of the original trainers at Soul Cycle, that place where they do the bicycle like uh, uh, classes, oh, okay. you know, yes. and, yeah. and all that kind of fun stuff. And um, she was one of the first trainers, and um, you know, she really helped me kind of redefine movement versus exercise. And I think that's important for people to understand. Like exercise is important, movement is actually more important uh, in, in most cases because movement implies flexibility implies a whole host of other things, even even neuronal flexibility, learning new movements and things like that, right, is going to be very helpful and important to folks. But um, the I, good news- I, I love how you state that because, of course, I'm constantly hammering in different movements, different exercises for the brain and nervous system. But just to backtrack here, because- yeah, this is so important. And for people listening in, especially these go-getters leaders that uh, we're all aware of, is that I did a similar thing. Didn't end up in emergency, but well, I Thankful. ended up in emergency, but not in the same state. <laughs> and yeah, it was, I had adrenal fatigue, basically. I went to exhaustion and had all the symptoms and drove myself up there instead of an ambulance. So <laughs> there you go. I, I can definitely see the stressful situation there. But how do people balance this? Like we go through your intro and it's four books, 400 interviews. And yeah. people see that. They're like, I'm going to give up sleep. <laughs> I, I've got kids. I, I, I got a house. Like, uh, yeah, no, I, how, and, how and, and I, this work out in that book for, for people yeah, to, well, and to I did follow it all while having all of those things. Right. So right. I did it while having the house, while having yes. kids going to high school and college, um, you know, maintaining a relationship with my partner, all of those things. And so, um, the, the bottom line was time management is a big deal. Um, and I'm a schedule kind of guy. I'm very good at following directions, right? And so what I ended up doing was right after this event occurred, I sat down and talked with my doctor. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? And he was like, Michael, you don't need to run for an hour on the treadmill at your top speed, okay, to get exercise. So we're going to drop you down to 15 minutes of cardio. That's all you're allowed to do. And by the way, you can't run, you need to walk. And I was like, this is not going to be easy. <laughs> but now I do for my workouts, I do a 10 minute walk on an arc treadmill. So it's a self-propelled treadmill. So there's not a motor you have to push to make it go. So it's a little bit more intense. I do that for 10 minutes, right around minute six. I start to feel my body warm up by minute 10. My body is warm. And then I move straight to weights um, at age 55. I don't need to be doing hours of cardio. That's just stupid. What I need to be doing is increasing my muscles, doing weights, and I don't have to do heavy weights. You know, I'm again, I'm the old guy in the gym. And so what I don't need to be trying to do is impress people, um, you know, and throw around a bunch of weight. I'm now really changed my thought process. And now I'm doing mostly core exercises that are multifunctional. 
So things like lifting up a weight from where my ankles are and bringing it across my chest and above my shoulders, right? right? So yes. overall movement that requires core twisting and weight management is really kind of what I've moved to. And that's, and I have, you know, my eight exercises and then I hit the sauna, which is kind of my new help me stress relief because I'm usually, I was used to exercising for about an hour and a half a day. So now I'm down to 45 minutes. I give myself 15 minutes in the sauna. Then I give myself a five minute cold shower and I'm done. And all of a sudden I've, what it used to take me 90 or so minutes, even more so I've now squelched down to about an hour and 10 minutes. I can get it done. And I've added a new component so that I'm not stressing my body so much. I've also added a couple of more components for stress relief later in the day that I think have been super duper helpful. Um, the big one, okay, for me, uh, well, the big, there's big, two big ones for me. One was meditation and the other was breathing. Um, and to be, to be fair, I've never been a good meditator, Dave. Like, I mean, I've never <laughs> been able to do it well. Like I'm always right. one of those guys who's like one eyes open and I'm like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? You know, that kind of thing. And um, I found a product, by the way, I have no connection to this product whatsoever. I don't sell it, anything like that, but I am recommending it to people. It's called the Muse Headband, M-U-S-E. Have you seen it? Absolutely. For for myself, it was like taking an hour nap in 10 minutes is how I describe it. I absolutely love it. And now I travel with it. And I'll tell you, it's it's been my secret weapon when I travel, especially when I land in a foreign country, just to be able to get to my hotel room and meditate for 10, 15 minutes. I, I don't know if you remember, there was a there was a movie a long time ago called Die Hard with Bruce Willis. And yes. he used to say that when he would get, he would take his shoes off and he would make like feelings with his toes on the carpet and that would make him kind of feel at home. I don't do that, but I put on my Muse headband and, you know, once I get about five, 10 minutes in, I'm solid. I'm present. I can deal with whatever's going on. It's been incredibly helpful. The other big thing is been breath work. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, if, yeah, I don't know if people yes. in the audience know, but you, you and I are in a men's group together. Um, and a part of the men's group at times is you can participate in, in different types of breath work. And you and I have done breath work together before, but at the same time, there's lots of different types of breath work that can be done out there. And that's been a great exploration for me. Um, some breathing techniques I've taught my patients to do before sleep, and it helps them calm down before bed and turn off their brain. Um, some breathing techniques you can do in the morning time to wake yourself up and give you energy. So it's really pretty amazing you know, that you don't necessarily have to have caffeine um, every day to to make your brain start to work. You know, if you hydrate, if you breathe, and if you sleep, you know, those three things are really, I would call the fundamentals of almost everything else. Absolutely. And let's pinpoint that down even more specifically. A lot of it is right around that stress chemistry called cortisol. Am Mm -hmm. I wrong on that? That the movement, the over-exercise can hammer those levels. Caffeine will spike it. Uh, different circadian rhythms will mess with it as well. What's yes. kind of your approach there in integrating all of this? And do you measure and manage it with your patients? Yeah. So then? cortisol management is is hard. 
I just, I'm going to start out by saying there's nothing easy about cortisol yes. management. And, and, and there's a couple of things that people have to understand. So number one, just measuring cortisol is a bit of a chore, okay? Because most of the tests are, if you're, especially if you're doing them yourself, are saliva tests. And you've got to take a reading in the morning, a reading at night, a reading the next morning, and a reading the next night. The good news, though, is that many of the tests for cortisol will also tell you about melatonin, which can be quite yes. helpful for sleep. So I recommend that people do maybe once a year or once every other year a melatonin cortisol saliva test just to kind of know where you're at. And what's interesting about this test in particular is it tells you about your cortisol in the morning and at night, which turns out to be very important. So the way I teach people about cortisol is I, I try to say like it's kind of like natural coffee that your brain kind of kicks out, right? And it's that fight or flight hormone that gives you that energy to zoom, get out of there if, if you kind of need to. Makes sense that you want that in the morning time, doesn't make sense that you want it at night. So when you're thinking about how do you manage cortisol, and let's say you discover, oh shit, I've got lots of cortisol going on at night, that's why my brain is kind of going cuckoo, what are the different things that I can do? So we already spoke about two of them, meditation and breathing exercises, both of which, by the way, there's plenty of data to suggest that it helps lower cortisol. It takes a little bit of time and you have to become a bit proficient at it, but it definitely works. Um, personally, I uh, sometimes I'll have patients take uh, like a GABA uh, product, so something that okay. helps uh, increase GABA. So GABA, for folks who don't know what GABA is, G-A-B-A, -A, it's gamino abuto immunurinic acid. I think that's how you say it. Um, but basically GABA is the breaks of the brain, right? And so anything that increases GABA will help lower or dampen some of that cortisol. Now, things that you can do easy to avoid that increase in cortisol, got to stop caffeine. Um, caffeine absolutely spikes cortisol. And so the earlier in the day you stop caffeine, the better. Also, here's an interesting one that a lot of people don't think about from a cortisol management standpoint, which is alcohol. Um, yes. if you have more than, yeah, if you have more than two drinks, you catch a buzz. When you catch a buzz, your brain thinks it's gone toxic and boom, you get a spike of cortisol. Now you're an energetic drunk, right? You're not going to bed anytime <laughs> soon. So these two can be things that could be managed well um, also. And, and to be so, fair- so that, that whole- whole societal thing of a yes. cup of coffee to wake up, a, a glass of wine to go to sleep. Well, that turns into a pot of coffee to wake up yes. and then a bottle of wine to go to bed. That's yeah. just going to mess you up even more, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just flat out wrong, right? So, so if you, if you just go back in history, before there was coffee, before there was alcohol, you got to go back a ways, by the way, because we've been addicted to both of those substances as, as a, a human race for time. quite a long time, <laughs> right? But if you do, people sleep just fine without it. Um, uh, and yes. As a matter of fact, when we look at Aboriginal tribes or we look at you know people who are less industrialized than us, people who, for example, don't have artificial light, don't have brewed coffee, may, may not have learned how to ferment um, and create alcohol, those folks are healthy and they sleep like champs, okay? Like they're crushing it in the sleep department, right? Because they go to bed when the sun goes down, they wake up when the sun comes up, so they follow a circadian rhythm, low caffeine, no alcohol, 
that's really kind of what we what we strive for. But look, I'm not saying you can't have fun and I'm not saying you can't enjoy a good cup of coffee, but just think about when the impact is going to hit you the most and just solve for that. Absolutely. Now, also cortisol, it's a glucocorticoid. So right. a sugar steroid. Uh-huh. Yes. So can proper sleep cause you to lose weight? Ah, great question. The answer is yes, hundred um, percent. So there, and and the, and the mechanism isn't always as obvious. The, the you you you've actually chosen a quite an elegant um, way to look at it. Um, but there's even more macro ways that that I I think about it. So like oh yes. when we right when we see people who become sleep deprived, right? And by the way, let's talk about that for just a half a second. Sleep deprivation is a personal definition, right? So like for Dr. Hardy, he could sleep maybe seven hours at night and that might be perfect for him, but seven hours, I might need nine, right? And so if I got his seven, he'd be fine, but I'd be sleep deprived, right? And so people need to understand whatever that definition is, you have to understand what you need and what is sleep deprivation for you. Let's, let's assume that you know when you're sleep deprived for just a second for the, for the uh, illustration here in the story. So you're, you know yes. you're sleep deprived. What does it do to you biologically? Very first thing it does is it slows down your metabolism. Now, you might be wondering, well, why? Well, it's to conserve the resources, right? You've only got so much fuel in the tank. It doesn't want to burn through the fuel fast um, because it doesn't understand why are you still awake. So metabolism slows down. And by the way, appetite increases. Same reason, because you, you're awake and it doesn't know why. So it wants to get more resources. So it increases your appetite. So right there it's not a great scenario, right? You got high appetite and you got low metabolism, but wait, it gets worse. Then you got these two hormones, right? Called leptin and ghrelin, and they really do a number on you, right? So ghrelin is the go hormone and that actually affects hunger. By the way, appetite and hunger are two completely different things in the brain. They they work very differently. So right now we're talking about ghrelin. There's 20% more ghrelin when you're sleep deprived. Then there's also a hormone called leptin. Leptin is what makes you feel full and you have 15% less leptin. So let me go over this statistic again. You have high appetite, you have 20% more hunger, you have 15% less feelings of being full and your metabolism has slowed down, all from sleep deprivation. But wait, it gets worse, okay? Now what happens is when you become sleep deprived, cortisol has been around your brain pumping it up to keep it awake. What's the easiest way to lower cortisol? That's simple. Eat a Snickers, have a muffin, right? High fat, high (laughs) carbohydrate foods, right? So your body craves high fat, high carbohydrate foods during this entire situation. So you're screwed. I mean, if you try to lose weight and you haven't really gotten your sleep under control, I don't see how it's actually even possible. I completely agree with it. Wow. Now, we've gone really fast through a few topics, but I want (laughs) to ramp it up even quicker. So a couple speed questions here. Uh, What is the difference between somebody who can't get to sleep versus somebody who wakes up in the middle of the night? Yeah. So one is called sleep onset insomnia. The other is called sleep maintenance insomnia. And, And here's how we usually discover the difference. Usually the sleep onset is 
all, most of the time, and by the way, this one is less common, believe it or not. Most of the time, really? this is an anxiety issue. Um, most uh, of the time, this is somebody who lies in bed and they're like, shit, I need to fall asleep. I need to fall asleep. And they become anxious about falling asleep. Um, or they're a pain patient. They have pain and they're like, ugh, I don't want to get in bed. I don't know if I'm going to get comfortable. I could have pain in the middle of the night. My pain could wake me up. And so that starts that whole, what we call ruminative thought or just this worried, constant, you know, cyclical thinking before bed. That's a lot of times what happens in the beginning of the night. Now, the middle of the night is a very different story. So uh, in order to fall asleep, your core body temperature rises, rises, rises till about 1030 and hits a peak. Then it begins to drop. That drop is a signal to your brain to release melatonin, okay? Then your core body temperature drops, drops, drops. But if it keeps dropping, you know, you're going to go hypothermic and you're going to freeze to death. And that ain't good. So it's got to turn back up. When it turns back up, which is usually between 1 and 3 o'clock in the morning, which, by the way, is when 90% of my patients tell me they wake up and they don't know why, You're you right. go into a lighter stage of sleep as your core body temperature increases. This is biology, okay? Every person on earth this happens to. But most people wake up and fall right back to sleep in 10, 15 seconds. The problem children are the ones <laughs> who stay up and get locked and caught in that little scenario, sleep maintenance insomnia. Now, there's a lot of different ways to think about this, and I can give people a few hints right now if you want me to on that. I know this is a speed question, and I'm kind of going along. <laughs> Fire away. We love information, so go for okay. it. Okay. So the very first thing I tell people is don't look at the clock, Okay. Why? Because you instantly do the mental math and then you say, oh shit, it's 3.30 in the morning and I've got to sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep. And you try to force your brain to sleep. David, in the history of time, no one has ever forced their way to sleep. No one. Because activating the brain is the opposite of putting the brain to sleep, okay? So you're yes. never going to force your way to sleep. So number one, don't cause yourself the anxiety by looking at the clock. Now, I'm going to be also honest with you. Everybody looks at the clock. I don't know why everybody looks at the clock. They all look at the clock. Okay. Number two, if you don't have to, don't pee. Now, this is going to sound strange, but just hear me out. Most people, what they do is they look at the clock. It's three o'clock in the morning and they say, well, I'm up. I might as well go to the bathroom. Okay. Let me explain why this is not the best idea. In order to enter back into a state of unconsciousness, you need a heart rate of 60 or below. In order to reach a heart rate of 60 or below, if you go from a lying position to a seated position to a standing position and you walk across the room, I can assure you your heart rate is above 60, okay? So if you don't have to pee, don't pee. I want to be very clear about something. If you got to go, please get up and go to the bathroom, all right? So, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But, but it's not one of those, well, maybe, if, could I, should I? If that's the case, don't do it, okay? Because the more your heart rate increases, the less likely you are to fall asleep. Okay, I didn't pee and I didn't look at the clock, but I'm still awake, Michael. Now what do I do? So there's a couple of different things that you can do, but the key metric here, again, is to lower that heart rate. So how do we do it? My favorite technique is doing something called four, seven, eight breathing. Uh, this is a technique that was developed by Dr. Andrew Weil where you breathe in, for a count of four, you hold 
for a count of seven and you breathe out for a count of eight. Um, I've written a few articles about it on my website. So if people want to check it out, we can put those into the show notes. This is a super simple technique and it immediately dumps your heart rate down um, and gets you to where you need to be within five to seven cycles. So that's one of the techniques that I, I like to use for people in the middle of the night. Nice. Now, next thing to throw your way, you mentioned saunas. And all of a sudden, my mind started triggering. Well, right now, I live up north Canada and mm -hmm. daylight sucks now. And I yep. feel myself getting depressed. Yep. So is a sauna going to help my, with my SADS or is there other methods that are going to be even better or combinations out there? So it's a great question. Um, when you're looking at, so just for folks who want to know, SAD is seasonal affective disorder. So it's kind of like the winter blues. Um, when yes. you're not getting as much light exposure um, daily, um, your brain uh, needs light to help reset its circadian rhythms and people can get depressed. Um, it's not uncommon. I went to school in upstate New York and it was not uncommon for kids who had not experienced New York weather to really say like, oh my gosh, this winter's lasting forever and it always feels dark and I'm feeling depressed and things like that. So light therapy is really one of the big things that we want to be looking at. You can get light therapy while you're doing sauna treatments um, or you can just do flat out sauna treatments. Now, what's nice about sauna treatments is sauna treatments also can help with seasonal affective disorder. The data isn't as um, isn't as robust as it is for light therapy, but it does help. Um, the big reason that I do saunas almost on a daily basis is the data that came out that showed that an 18-minute sauna more than three times a week lowers all-cause mortality by something like 30-plus percent. So right, isn't I was that amazing? Like, Wow. Game over. I'll sweat for 20 minutes every day and be just fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Now, is there a perfect pillow or mattress out there? So there is, but it's different for different people, right? So one of the things that I think I did a really good job of is I've reviewed over, over 150 beds and pillows on my website. So uh, we do mattress reviews, pillow reviews, things like that. But like, for example, number one, buy a pillow before you buy a mattress. More people need a new pillow right now than need a new mattress, I can almost assure you. And yeah. here's the good news is, you know, with the holiday seasons coming up and things like that, there's always sales going on. But if you're going to get a pillow, number one, you should check out uh, the article I wrote on how to pick the perfect pillow. But here's a couple of questions you'd want to ask yourself. Number one, firm or squishy? That's step one, because some of them are like a block of cheese and some of them are like very malleable. So you got to decide which one you prefer. Number two, what is your starting sleep position? So as an example, if you're a back sleeper, you don't want a super thick pillow because it's going to push your head too far forward. You're not going to be able to breathe. and It's going to make you snore more. Right. But if you're a side sleeper, at least starting out, you need something to make up for the space between your ear and where the mattress would be. Right. Which would be the side here of your shoulder. So you'd have to have a very thick pillow in that particular instance. So know where you start to sleep. I get it. You move around at night. Nobody stays in the same position, but it's about your starting sleep position in terms of pillow picking. And then the third question is, do you have any pain in your neck or upper shoulders? If you do, you want to probably talk with your doctor before you go out and try another 
you know, wonky pillow and make sure that there's not a major injury up here, muscle strain, things of that nature. Also, sometimes people sleep in weird positions that can cause this. I have patients who sleep with both arms above their head and then they report right. that they get, you know, uh, across the tops, they get a pain in their necks there and then they think it's a pillow, um, things like that. So I always tell people buy a pillow first and play around with it and see if you can get one that really works for you. But you can't keep it for very long. Pillows usually last about two years before the structural integrity begins to break down. And, and you know, people tell me all the time, they're like, I finally broke my pillow in and it's perfect. And I'm like, well, <laughs> what's, what's going to stop it from continuing to break, right? Like if you have to break right. this thing in, like it's going <laughs> to continue to deteriorate. So you need to think about that. Now, when we talk about mattresses, it's a bigger purchase, um, certainly more expensive and things, something people want to think about. Um, what I tell people is you really need to think through probably three different areas. So one is heat. So if you're a hot sleeper or your partner is a hot sleeper, memory foam on the top is probably not the best idea. Um, it does have a tendency to uh, encapsulate heat and make you sleep very, very hot. Um, uh, the other thing, uh, other than temperature, um, that I like to talk about with people is firmness. Some people like a super, you know, cushy bed, like a marshmallow. Some people like it like a tabletop. The data would suggest a medium firm bed will really help most people. Now, to be fair, if you've got back problems, then you want to talk with your doctor about maybe a zoned support bed. So some beds will have a zone in them that has extra springs or extra material to give you a little bit more there. So that's something that you can do. Um, we actually rated mattresses for back pain. So uh, we had people with back pain get on them and, and try to figure that out. So if you do have some instances like pain, then you want to really think specialty temperature, really want to make sure the materials uh, work really well for you. And then my personal favorite is I like hybrid mattresses and I'll explain why. Most beds, if, you, if it's all springs, then you only get the benefit of springs. And if it's all foam, you only get the benefit of foam. But hybrids have springs on the bottom and foam on the top. And that's great because it really gives you the opportunity to get the advantages out of both types of materials, which is basically what I do. So all of the beds in my home are, are hybrid beds. They're springs plus material on top. I love it. Absolutely. And it's amazing how many people out there have sleep related injuries. Oh, dude. <laughs> they come it's... in, the chiropractor, the neck, the back is just wreaked havoc just the way they sleep or what they're sleeping on. Uh, next one that I get commonly asked is mm -hmm. on sleep apnea. And sure. I'm under the kind of uh, direction that sleep apnea is more the canary in the coal mine, that things are already starting to fall apart. Um, what would be your view on that and ways to kind of mitigate it or improve your condition? Yeah, I don't, well, I don't know if I would call it the canary in the coal mine, but I do know why you do. Um, and it makes sense to me why you do. What I've discovered is if you're not only practicing sleep, sleep becomes the one thing that's affecting whatever it is you're trying to fix, right? So if you're a cardiologist and you've got a patient with uh, refractory hypertension, meaning their medication isn't working for their, for their uh, high blood pressure, Check for sleep apnea. Nine times out of 10, they have it. When you fix the sleep apnea, magically, the blood pressure gets better, right? And oh, so, of course, yeah. 
a lot of times what we see is if you're struggling with a, any particular medical issue out there and you have undiagnosed sleep apnea, that's where the canary is in the coal mine, and we get it diagnosed, usually in 50 to 70% of the cases, whatever that other issue was, it gets at least better, if not completely dissolves uh, uh, all the way. Um, sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. L literally everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. And so sleep apnea is kind of one of those silent, um, I wouldn't call it a killer, but I would say it's one of those silent things that just eats away, eats away. And then all of a sudden, you know, basically systems start to break down and then you're really fighting a, a, a you know, a battle at that point. Um, I would also see, say yeah, that absolutely, just, and uh, it, but I just to interject with one more point on that please. is that uh, usually what I'm seeing with sleep apnea, and correct me if if I'm misinformed on this, is that a lot of the neurological centers that control the breathing are starting to decline. And you mentioned one device there that uses electric stimulation. And I love using cranial nerve stimulation for all sorts of neurologic conditions there too. But you introduced me to one that's on the market. And I, I think it's, it's an amazing uh, start to, to getting some of these conditions taken care of. So um, yeah, you're talking you've got about more the, tools in the you, toolbox besides that. So, um, what would those yeah. be? So you were talking about the Excite OSA device. Is that what we were talking yes. about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's tell people what that is. So this is kind of interesting. This is the newest technology I've seen in sleep apnea in 15 years, easily. Um, because I don't consider miniaturization an innovation, right? So we, yeah, right. we took CPAP from being <laughs> the size of a, of a picnic table down to the size of a Coca-Cola can, but I don't think that's particularly innovative. This is innovative. This is a group of people came and they, they put something on your tongue and it sends a mild electrical signal. You can't feel it. And it actually shrinks your tongue thereby opening up the oral cavity. So it's easier for you to breathe and your tongue doesn't fall to the back of your throat and cause apnea. It's remarkably effective um, and, and it can work really well for people. And I don't want people to worry so much. You know, a lot of people think, oh, shit, I got sleep apnea. You're going to stick me on that CPAP machine. and I'm going to be stuck on this breathing mask, Darth Vader thing for the rest of my life type of thing. And and look, to be fair, yes, there are some people that end up on, on CPAP for extended periods of time. Those are people that are usually pretty sick um, and that have got uh, medically, you know, pretty complicated. But for the most part. You know, if you look, if you sit with your doctor, make a plan, you can not only feel better, lose weight in many cases, come off of CPAP or find an alternative therapy like an oral appliance, this um, uh, OSA Excite that we're talking about, even mild surgical implications uh, are, are inter interventions rather are, are out there that are actually quite effective. One is called Inspire, which is a small unit that sits underneath your clavicle. And then they put wires to the vagus nerve and it just keeps your tongue from falling to the back of your throat. So there's been some innovation for sure. So I don't want people to say like, I'm not going to get checked because I don't want to wear one of those masks. I think we're past that now. Great, great news. All right. Now we've hit a, a ton of different topics now. Um, but one thing that really impresses me was how you can simply kind of bring things down into digestible little chunks to help people manage and not just their sleep cycles, but their awake alertness and what to do with their working world so they can 
do 400 interviews a week, have yeah. a family and not end up in a merge. Uh, what was the, the quiz or kind of the, the place you mm-hmm. send people to so that they're able to start to get, yep. get this simple so, digestible way to make improvements? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if people want to figure out sort of what they are in terms of what type of sleeper, um, I have a quiz. It's called the Chrono Quiz. Um, and people can take it and learn what their chronotype is. Now, you might not have heard of chronotype, but you actually know the concept. If you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. It turns out there's four different ones. And if you take the chrono quiz, what's cool about it is I send you a report, not only tells you when to go to bed and when to wake up, I tell you the perfect time of day to have coffee. I tell you when you could, should or should not drink alcohol. Um, you'd be surprised. We've been able to track quite a bit of things. I mean, honestly, outside of sleep, I can tell you the best time of day to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss yeah. for a raise. Like you'd be shocked wow. at how we, we can actually predict when you're going to be in a good mood, when you're going to be focused, when you're going to have better attention, things like that. So if people want to check it out, it's free. Just go to chronoquiz.com. Okay, perfect. How are some other ways people can find you? So if people are looking for me, the easiest way is to uh, hit me up at thesleepdoctor.com. That's my website. I'm also on all the social media you could possibly imagine. I've done TikToks and I do Facebook and Instagram reels and like you name it. If there's a social media uh, platform, we've got sleep information on it, but it's all under The Sleep Doctor. Perfect. Now, a loaded question here. If I was to order one of your four books, which would I order first? Yep. So I I like this question because I think there's different places that you could go with it. But me personally, I like my third book the best as a good starting point. And it's called The Power of When, W-H-E-N. And this is where I break down chronotypes and I actually tell you the perfect time of day to have sex or eat a cheeseburger or all those other things. Perfect. All right. Definitely check out these sites. They'll be in the show notes underneath here. And for everyone listening, stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care. Sweet dreams.